Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. From our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids and our health, we're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. And in every episode, we will consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. We'll ask you to share your breadwinning story. Each week, I'm joined by Jennifer Owens. She writes about working, wellness, and women and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And I'm joined by Raquel Ellison. She is an executive coach and management consultant who works with companies big and small to design workplace policies that work for all employees. Well, we're going bigger this time. I was reading an article, well, an op-ed in Foreign Affairs magazine, because you know, just how I do. Actually, no, you know, I let social media send me to something. But Melinda Gates, who has been a bit of a lodestar for us because she's been dealing with these issues of women and work and family and how it all intersects. She's been focused on this for a long time. And she has a really powerful essay in Foreign Affairs where she's saying that typical ways that we have responded to pandemics in the past leave women behind. Mm -hmm. And that she says gender neutral is not gender blind because. One of the ways she says, well, she says, gender blind is not gender neutral. It's a refrain among advocates for women and girls. In this crucial moment, it must also be a call to action. If policymakers ignore the ways the disease and its impacts are affecting men and women differently, they risk prolonging the crisis and slowing the economic recovery. But if they use this as an opportunity to replace old systems with new and better ones, countries can build back more prosperous, more prepared, and more equal. And when I first read that, I thought, huh, you know, like, okay, okay. And then you start thinking about the way women interact with the economy just on that point alone, or that women have different health needs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're having babies and that's different, you know, that. I don't know. What what did you think as I go off on my tangent already? No, I think there's so many different angles to this, right? And I think a big one is around paid versus unpaid work, right? And Mm. what is being demanded of us. And and I remember we did that episode. What was that article about feminism is dead? Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Right? So like, I I remember us saying, no, 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 maybe this will be a new reality, right? Yeah. But now we're, you know, we're months and months later. And, you know, when we look at the reality, when we look at the fact that women earn less, save less, hold less secure jobs, are more likely to be employed in the informal sector and the sectors that are... Getting hit? Yeah, Yeah. we're getting hit the hardest. So the shocks, the economic shocks, it's going to be tremendous. It's, It's tremendous. And, you know, we're seeing it everywhere. And it's much less than what men are experiencing. Yeah. And women of color, even more so, are, are right. more vulnerable for a variety of different reasons and that we'll get back to in a minute. But I think the challenge that we see is multifactorial. You know, there's so many different aspects of it that, yeah. that I love Melinda Gates and I would love to create new paradigms and new systems. But working right now within some systems and working with leaders to rethink how they're going to work. It's difficult, right? Yeah. Everyone is so burnt out. And it. I know that I'm really just talking about... Leaders. Are you just talking about yourself now? No. <laughs> no I, mean, I, I was talking to a group of folks yesterday about you know, how to get leaders to think out of the box right now. Yeah. And they came back to me with some real doozies like, yes, but 
this person like just lost seven people who left the organization or who like we're really talking about people who are operating at a deficit. Right. And these are, you know, when we think about the people who need to change these systems, I'm just seeing, I think I, I was seeing like a very new innovative face when we talked about the feminism and how our society might be changed. But I just wonder now who is able to step into that role and really think about not just what are the new models, how do we put them into place? Yeah. You know, when we think about how women's empowerment, women's rights, well, we think about how that's changed since 1920, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we got far to some extent and we, we've gotten really far. We also like when we look at our the pay disparity, it's it's still really quite behind. Right. So when we're thinking about like, oh, how do we create a new system? It's like, great, we could create a new idea for a new system, but but we have to get everybody else on board. And there's essentially like a huge, you know, a huge division in our country right now. Um in terms of yeah. kind of ways of thinking about the world. So so that's my little rant and tangent. But I think, you know, that's what I wonder about is I love, you know, the Gates can do a lot. What she's talking about too is that like, okay, so if you come swinging through and you say paid sick leave, like we need to extend everyone's paid sick leave who's working. Well, but that you won't capture that'll seem like oh well you're hitting everybody yeah but you're not capturing the person who is working informally is taking care of someone's kid after school every day i don't know if that's off the books or what whatever it is but you're missing a lot of that work and women do a lot of that work housekeepers yeah. and and so if you're sick say you're a housekeeper who's just paid directly and that happens we all know it and you get sick you've lost your income and you can't access paid sick time yeah thinking about those moments when women are working outside of certain structures because they don't have the higher paying jobs that come with like corporate policies and benefits that you can attack. There's that. There is the caregiving that goes zooms up. So if you just say to everyone, I don't, I don't even know what, how you would say it, but how are you accounting for the fact that someone is dealing with all the homeschooling like we've mm-hmm. talked about? Yeah. And so that you could talk about your productivity goes down because actually your overall productivity is going way up. It's just the certain measures of it, of something you have to deliver, go down because you're also being productive in another way, which is dealing with little kid homeschooling. Again, there's so many different angles that we're looking at right now. and That we need to be accountable. We need to account for these things that women do. Yeah. That have always fueled our economy, like caregiving, like earning for their family in other ways. And then you have the fact that it's a she session, right? That unemployment is way higher for women right now than it is for men, which is unusual. Yeah. Uh, men usually get hit. It's usually these corporate jobs. Right now, um, it's these low wage jobs are getting hit way harder. So then you have women who were earning less to start, anyways. And if they lose their job and then it's harder to get back into the workforce, they're hit. You just keep hitting them farther backwards, farther backwards yeah. to finding any sort of stability. Oh, I'm getting myself depressed. Now. <laughs> like, I'm trying to not not let this get me down. But there's so many different aspects of this that are really hard to digest and really yeah. hard to kind of comb through and then say, 
no, we, we've got this. Like we really can see the way out. And, and I think it's something that I do think that opportunity is born out of crisis. And I think yeah. something will move. Right. I just don't know what that is. I thought the unemployment, the move to do the, it was the PUA, was it pandemic unemployment? I'm not sure what, I can't remember what PUA stood for. So in the world of unemployment, so, you know, you have these humongous amounts of people kicked out of their jobs and, and going to unemployment. And for the first time that I am aware of, you could apply for gig unemployment as opposed to like, you know, you work for, you have some sort of full-time job. And right. I think that that has run out, like that program has yeah. ended as Congress, you know, battles over what phase two of any sort of pandemic assistance might look like. But that was a big deal in my world, looking at what could consultants go for it? Could entrepreneurs go for it? What, and you had to balance that versus like PPP, the EIDL, you know, every letter in the alphabet. But right. that was new thinking. I thought, and, and amen to the legislative aide who put that into the package right off yeah. from the get-go, that essentially acknowledging the gig economy and loss of revenue in that. So I, we need thinking like that. No, I think we do. I mean, what I think about there is, you know, there's a whole economy built around people who get paid in cash mm -hmm. and who I don't think would qualify for something like that, right? Right. Like, you needed a 1099 or something, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge base, you know, that aren't going to get that kind of support. And I think it's, you know, and I think there are prospects for for folks being able to spend that kind of cash or, or yeah. precarious, I think. There was an article this morning in Bloomberg saying 59 million Americans did at least some freelance work this year. Like, oh. that's a huge freaking that is, number. That is a really big number. And there's a chunk of those people who are doing it in addition, you know, as a side hustle or what. But that number is going way up versus the previous two years. I believe that we're all hustling. And talk about the hustle has gotten never more important than right now. Yeah. A million years ago, I was in a meeting with my CEO at the time, and they had done an employee morale survey. And one of the things that had come up in this company that had terrible employee morale was that people had feelings of job instability. And this guy says, I don't get it. You know, he just couldn't get it. Well, he was the CEO, you know, yeah. like... Ironically, he was out the door in like, you know, next couple of months, but he didn't get it. And I thought, oh, then we're not going to have this conversation, dude, because everyone feels job insecurity. I think everyone does, right? The, yeah. the minute some tone in your boss changes and or any, I don't know, we all feel and, and never more so than right now. No. Not, you know, not that we all have to live in fear, but I think we all hear it. You know, like we, you're like, what? Wait, what are you saying? What, what's up with yeah. the, you know, the annual budget? So it makes me think of like those stories out of uh, like skin. Is it like Denmark where they're like the happiest people because they know that their education is cared for, their health is cared for, and there's a social net to hold them up if they lose their job? You know, like. Right, right. <laughs> those are all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Melinda, I'm blaming Melinda Gates for all of this. She's pointed out this child, this reality, and and somehow we're mad. I also think when we look at solutions, right? How do yeah. what do we do to respond to this? What should happen? Because the UN didn't we weren't looking. We were looking at a, the UN has a report, but kind of talking about the same things that Melinda Gates yeah. was talking about. We definitely need more data 
on on all of this, right? On who's losing, on what the job losses are by gender, by race and ethnicity. We need to know. We need to know about right. I mean, about how the healthcare that women are getting and how are they accessing it? Are you getting it through a partner? Are you getting it yourself? Are you getting it through public systems? Right. Because how can you offer increased or whatever if you don't know how people are all getting it? Yeah, I get it. Yep. Right. I mean, when I think about the kind of work that I do with organizations, you know, we can't create systemic change unless we know what's going on. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, and, and that research... And so I think that's what we need to do broadly in this context. And that kind of research needs to be yeah. funded well. In late March, there was a group of five U.S. senators that sent a letter to the Health and Human Services Secretary saying that the government is failing to collect and publicly report on racial and ethnic demographic information oh, regarding COVID-19 yeah. tests and patients. And that's only related to to illness, you know, to infections, yeah. right? Forget about all of the <laughs> other impacts that we're talking about. Yeah. Here. I think it's about data. I think we definitely need that. And one of the things that the UN was saying, maybe because I work for myself right now, I'm so into this, but it's all these programs we have that we account for the informal worker, like the gig account. And that comes in all kinds of stripes. That's the the unpaid caregiver. That's the paid person in your life that Mm -hmm. is the entrepreneur trying to make it happen, you know, that I think we need to account for those 59 million people that are doing some sort of work. So I'm, I'm all for that. I think it's funny that it wasn't that long ago that there was no option for you before the Affordable Care Act. You lost your job. You lost your health care. Right. It was that simple. And there was some COBRA. You can maybe extend it and you paid the principal and you can COBRA still exists, you know, but and COBRA was like a bit of a, a super expensive lifeline. But when my husband and I were both laid off at the same point a few years ago, mm-hmm. I had a sense of like, OK, well, at least if this is what it is, we'll go into the Affordable Care Act, into the brokerages and we'll have it. And I was very happy for that. Like, thank yeah. God. You know, thank God that that social safety net is there for me. And I think there are others. I think like unemployment, like if these things could be there, that that would be very helpful to me. <laughs> Just to me. <laughs> this is all about me. You realize, right? As we come to almost 60 episodes of the breadwinners, we realize, of course, right? This is all about me. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking about ourselves this whole time. So another piece of this that that is, to be honest, a bit, I don't know if it's a bit too off topic for us, but just I can't get it out what? of my <laughs> What? What? Something's off topic for us? <laughs> I'll be surprised so, to hear what it is. <laughs> you know, when I was first starting out doing coaching and selling my own coaching services, there were so many, there's like a whole economy of folks who were selling their services to other women who were kind of studying, like, I've done a lot of work over the course of my career, like trying to figure out what do people need? How do you market to those people? And I know there were a lot of folks, you know, I did different programs to kind of to learn how to appeal to different audiences and all of that. And Marie Forleo, for example, if you've heard of her, like she, Mm. I don't know how many people she trained, but she would charge people $2,000. I didn't do her course. But she would charge people $2,000 to learn like how to create these programs and systems that they would sell. And again, these are not the most vulnerable population. But what happened yeah. to that whole group of people? Because that can't be going well right now. 
Like, like the, well, I think it is. Know. I think it is. I think that people, everyone is trying to find, I think there is an entire economy to fuel the gig economy, which is kind of what that is, you know, these variations on it. I think that's actually real strong. I don't know if it's going to stay strong, but I think in the moment of everyone going, <gasps> where, where the pandemic hit and killed your business, yeah, they were like, well, how can I pivot and, and looking for guidance? I actually think that's, that's huge. I don't know if 2000 is the price point, but I think yeah. it's there. Yeah, that's so. interesting. Everybody needs a lot of help. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. where's that help going to come from? Oh, where do we find it? How do we yeah. help ourselves? I think there's just so many different. Well, and and to our point with being, you know, let's not be gender blind. Like, I think these, if some of these programs, what if these programs were gender? I'm, I'm going to go out there and say, what if we were investing in women with some of this? Like, what if some of the PPP money was set aside specifically for women-owned, minority-owned businesses? What if, you yeah. know? Yeah. What? I, I, you know, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I'm saying that's interesting because aren't there all kinds of stats, which maybe we can do something on that, like uh, women owned companies, uh, it's certainly uh, more women on boards. The company is more successful, right? The, oh, isn't that sure. right? They're more profitable. That research is there. Um, fastest growing. It was a while ago. I used to have this stat when I was at Working Mother that like... Um, Latina owned companies were the fastest growing like entrepreneurial set. Um, I did just saying that like maybe if we want to bring our economy back, what if we had some gender set asides to fund that? What if? You know, I think we need to do that. I feel like yeah. I've seen. Well, so there are some funds. I mean, there's certainly private funds and venture capital funds that are into like, you know, focused on women's startups and they're trying and they get coverage for it and amen to that. But I, I'm talking like public. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been, I've definitely seen different, you know, there, there are different funds that are opening up. Cardi B, <laughs> for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, like, yeah. And you know why? Because it's, it's still freakishly hard for women to get venture capital money when we're talking about like, you know, like tech startups oh, and, sure. and femtech and all that sort of jazz. And we know also too that, uh, women, are well, you know, women are forty percent of families are the primary earner in the family are women. Yeah. Two thirds of them are single moms. So, what if some of this stuff is investing in these moms? These, yeah. you know, I, I and honest to goodness, not sure what that looks like, but right. I feel like, God damn it, let's just help these women. Yeah, be successful. And so, to bring it all back around, let's not be gender blind. You know, let's right. let's lean into some gender stuff. Let's see how it works. Let's test, Ooh, lean test in. the market. Yeah, let's let's lean in. And you know, wealthy women. No, I'm just being. You know, like it, it, no one woman, no matter how how wealthy she is, is going to be able to do this. This is this is a political thing in political yeah. and of uh, the body politic coming together and saying yes. I think we invest in these women. Yeah, you've just brought me to a more hopeful place. Yes. What we've seen, you and I and our colleagues in the work family space, I mean, there are some advocates who have created such tremendous change to support working families, to support yep. women who both work and give care and 
you know, to create policy changes that are going to support, you know, these parts of the population that really need it where the gaps are. And and we're really seeing where the gaps are now. And I think that knowing, you know, some of the people that we've had on this podcast, Julie Cashin, who does amazing work around caregiving and and funding, you know, we've got (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Bridget Schulte is a reporter yeah. who's created, you know, but she works with the Better Life Lab. Yeah. And now let's bring it to the business part of it. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Like, because like we're talking about the caregiving part of it. We're talking about the work life policy part of it. And I'm thinking like some of these things like the GI Bill, you know, which helped a lot predominantly white guy veterans, as someone who's reading about it right now, a hand up, like help them go to college, low interest loans to buy homes. It essentially created the middle class after World War II, but it was focused predominantly on white guys. Did you know that? Did you know that the wax and the waves were excluded from those programs because it was thought that they would marry and they would get the benefits through their husbands? Wow. And essentially excluded people of color and gay. There was a 4,000 of, I think, the Navy, 5,000 of the Army of uh, men discharged as blue discharged, which were suspected homosexual, and they were not able to access the GI benefits either. So my point uh, in telling all that, other than Jill Lepore's book, it's amazing. It's called These Truths. I totally recommend it to everyone. My mother actually gave it to me. And actually, to bring it all home, it was a list of books that Bill Gates suggested you read that my mother sent me. And so I'm reading all those books, Mom. (laughs) So, but what about those investments in like all the other groups that didn't get it back then? Let's bring some of that back because I think investing in these other groups, I'm loving it for shoring up the the women's earnings are what's supporting the middle class right now Mm -hmm. and keeping us above anything above water that we were before the pandemic. Let's acknowledge it and all the unpaid work they do to support the economy. And let's do it. I'm thinking about the bread of the breadwinners part of it now. Yeah, we got to, yeah, the bread of the breadwinner part. I think it's, you know, I think that's really, that's really key. And I do want to shout out one more person that we know, Karen Kahn, who has iFundWomen. Yes. Started a COVID fund. Right. She's been supporting small businesses. She helps small businesses raise small women owned businesses raise money. Yep. And at this time, she just immediately went into providing essentially COVID grants herself, you know, through this, through this mechanism. So I think that's, you know, folks are, folks are, (laughs) folks are jumping in and doing what they can do. And I think we are going to continue to follow that and talk about the hustle, the breadwinning. And we're going to say thank you for joining us on The Breadwinners as you get back to all your hustling. So you will find links to what we discussed today and you will have my solemn promise that let's reach out to Karen Khan. Let's get her on. Yeah. Let's get her on. We're we're putting the call out to you, Karen. So visit us anytime at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com to ask a question, offer feedback, or share your stories. How are you making it work? We'd love to know. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. Let us know what you think about The Breadwinners. Help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.